Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 19. Let me just say something about the first 18 verses in this chapter. The theme really is life or living before our Heavenly Father. And the first 18 verses, Jesus talks about life before God in worship. And he does that by speaking of doing alms before men, of prayer before men, and of fasting before men, in contrast to how we should do it before our Father in secret. So the first nineteen, first 18 verses, life before our Father in worship. And then beginning at verse 19, it's really life before our Father with regard to wealth or even work. So let's begin reading at verse 19. We'll read to the end of the chapter. The text is verses 25 through 32. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is really the idolatry of money. And then the text. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, for, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold, or consider the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 
As I said, the text is 25 through 32. Let me just read a couple of those verses again. Verse 25 and then verse 30. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. And then verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? In First Church, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the sermon that I preached last week. And the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is really genuine Christianity. What does it look like to be a true Christian? The citizens of the kingdom of heaven are who, who are described in the Sermon on the Mount and their life. And Jesus describes them in contrast to the false professors of religion in his day. That is the scribes and the Pharisees who lived externally, who lived by a set of rules, who did things to be seen of others, whose religion was one of hypocrisy. And over against that, Jesus is teaching what a genuine Christian, real Christianity, looks like. And in this chapter, he does that by, as it were, taking application of what he said about that in the previous chapter and making that application very personal and very day-to-day. This is how it applies to your life day-to-day. This is how it applies day-to-day in your life of worship, when you give alms, or what that really means is do deeds of kindness. Or when you pray, Jesus says, enter into your closet. Don't pray on the street corners to be seen of men. Or when you fast, he says, do that in secret so that your Father who sees in secret shall can reward you openly. So he talks about day-to-day life of worship. And what sincerity looks like in that. And then in the last part of the chapter, genuine Christianity in the workaday world. What does genuine Christianity look like with regard to work and wealth and connected to that worry? And that's really what Jesus is treating in the verses that we consider this evening. Now, as Jesus addresses our living before God in this world, in day-to-day life, he penetrates, he goes very deep. You can see that, for example, in the section immediately before the verse for this evening, when Jesus talks about laying up treasures not on earth, but in heaven, and then says this in verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure, what's important to you? What do you pursue? Whatever that is, that reveals what's in your heart. And the more you pursue it, the more it will feed what's in your heart, and the more then it will come out in your life and control your living. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Jesus, in a sense, digs even deeper than that in the verses that we look at this evening because he addresses anxiety and worry 
and concern, which is real and true to every one of us as we live in this material world. So tonight we want to consider these verses under the theme, Worrying About Earthly Provision. Notice with me first the or our issue, Jesus addresses our problem. Then notice with me second, Jesus' counsel, what does he say to us? And then third, the promised result for those who heed in faith the counsel of Jesus. So first, Jesus addresses our issue or our problem. And our issue or our problem is this, that we are concerned, overly concerned, that we worry and are anxious about earthly provision, about material possessions. He's talking here about very simple things. Your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, your body, and how you will be clothed. And he's saying, you are concerned. You worry about those things. The first thing for us to see here tonight is that these words of Jesus are addressed to disciples. They're addressed to us. When Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 5, sat down on the mountain, it was his disciples who came unto him to be taught. This Sermon on the Mount, though it says a lot about the scribes and Pharisees, is not addressed to the scribes and Pharisees. It's addressed to believers. It's addressed to citizens of the kingdom. It's addressed to you and to me as believers. And that's very important for us to see. Jesus says, I say, to you, which of you, by taking thought, O you of little faith. And that's important because it addresses something that we all struggle with. The struggle that Jesus is talking about here with regard to worry and anxiety is not unique to the poor who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. It's also the struggle of those who have plenty but are still concerned about their retirement. And then it's the struggle of the extremely rich who worry about their business and their assets and their sales and their profits and so on. We all have this issue. We all have this problem. And God's word comes tonight to disciples, you and me. Jesus addresses this problem with two expressions in the verses that we considered this evening. First, there's the five times repeated phrase, take no thought, and that addresses our behavior. And then the other phrase at the end of verse 30, which gets at our underlying problem, O ye of little faith. Take no thought. What does that mean? In the original Greek, Uh, We have here a phrase that's very difficult to bring over into the English language. And certainly what we have in the King James Version doesn't capture it. If you take what we have here in the King James Version, take no thought. That would mean literally don't think about this at all. And Jesus is not saying here that we should never think about our life or our food or our drink or our body or our clothing. If that was the case, if we should never think about these things at all, then he would have nothing to say about them. But he does have something to say about them here. The newer translations in more modern English translate it this way, don't be anxious. So I say unto you, don't be anxious for your life, for your food, for your drink, for your body, for your clothes. Or 
they have this, don't worry, don't worry about your food and your clothing, your, your uh, drink and your life and your body. And they are closer to the meaning of what Jesus intends here, but still they don't quite capture it. Because the danger is to think, well, I don't worry. And so this word doesn't apply to me. Because worry usually has an element of fear. And Jesus is not talking here so much about fear, but more about somebody who is focused on this, who, in verse 21, this is where their heart is. This is their treasure. So it's not necessarily someone who's afraid about whether they'll have clothes or afraid about food and drink. And that becomes clear when we see this same word that's translated here five times, take no thought, really it means Literally, don't be full of cares. Uh, We see the same word used by Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 10, in the story of Mary and Martha. And let me read two verses there, verses 40 and 41 of Luke chapter 10. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. The word here, that is the same word in Matthew chapter 6, is the word careful. And he's saying to Martha, she's full of cares. But there are two other words here that help us to understand this. Thou art careful and troubled. She's agitated. And then in the previous verse, Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And the idea there is distracted. This got her full attention. And now you know the story of Mary and of Martha. Martha's problem was not fear, but it had to do with her Priorities. Jesus had come into the home of Mary and Martha. They had a rare opportunity. Jesus sat down in the sitting room of their house. The disciples came around them, and Mary seized this opportunity. But Martha was more concerned with food and cleanliness of the house, and those things she was encumbered with, and they distracted her from what was really important and what she should have been occupied with here. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part. And so it doesn't have so much to do with anxiety or worry, but more to do with priority. She put the primary importance on secondary things. And note that those things weren't sinful in themselves. There's nothing wrong with her preparing a meal or making sure the house is clean for the guests that are there. But she's preoccupied with subordinate things, material things in contrast to spiritual things. And Mary, Jesus says, has chosen the better thing. And if you think about it that way, the the meaning of the word, you understand now that this applies to every one of us. We overthink our earthly life and plans to the neglect of spiritual things such as prayer, reading of scripture, and being in the word of God so that we can be taught by Jesus, as it were. And it's true that sometimes those thoughts that we have, our overthinking, our overconcern for material things like food and clothing and possessions and wealth and house and transportation and whatever it is, our overthinking of those things 
can cause an anxiety and we do become afraid and we get into a cycle of worry and anxiety about those earthly things. But Jesus here isn't just speaking to those people. He's saying to all of us as his disciples, don't be filled with cares about food, clothing, and shelter. So that's our issue, first of all, addressed in that phrase, take no thought for your life. The other diagnosis of Jesus of our issue here is at the end of verse 30, when he says, O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. Again, this is addressed to the disciples. Jesus does not say here, O you of no faith, but you of little faith. And Jesus is rebuking in love the disciples for a weak faith. He's not condemning them as unbelievers, and there's something very encouraging for that. None of us have perfect faith. We all have weaknesses in our faith. We all have weak faith. And so a sinking Peter or a sinning David or a crafty Jacob, they were not unbelievers. And the word comes to us, the word from Jesus here, and the word tonight to you and me to increase our faith, to direct our faith away from ourselves and away from the material things of this world to the Savior so that we are strengthened in our faith and encouraged in our faith as we look to him. Remember, a man came to Jesus with a son, and Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal him? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And that's us, should be us tonight. Now again, this phrase, O ye of little faith, comes in a context here. And the context again is to do with material things, earthly provision, food, clothing, and shelter, and so on. There is something else that Jesus adds to it here, and that's in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Usually we think of that in terms of adding a foot and a half or 18 inches to your height. It doesn't need to be taken that way, and it probably has more to do with life than height. Jesus brings up life in verse 26. I say unto you, take no thought for your life. And the cubit here is a a span or a measurement And Jesus is probably referring here not to our height, but to the length of our days, our life. Which of you, by taking thought, can add a day or add a segment of days to your life? Oh, ye of little faith. This is what he's talking about, those things. And the four other times that this uh, phrase or this idea occurs in the New Testament, it refers to exactly the same thing. Earthly provision in Luke chapter 12 verse 28 has to do with clothing. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8, it has to do with food. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 8 verse 26 and Matthew chapter 14, Jesus uses this idea of little faith in connection with concern about life and death. You think of the disciples in the storm and they thought that they were going to drown and Jesus says, where's your faith? Oh, you have little faith. So what is little faith? Little faith is a faith that trusts in God for salvation. He's my God and he's my Savior. But fails to trust in God in the situations of daily life. That's little faith. 
A person with little faith has no problem with doctrine. They confess uh, the name of God. They understand their sin. They understand the need of Jesus Christ. And such a person can make a wonderful confession about these things standing on the word of God and, and may have a, a, a strong faith with regard to their salvation. But they whimper and they cry and they live a defeated life when they're confronted with the trials of daily life. That's what Jesus means here by little faith. He's talking about when we worry over food, drink, clothing, life, and the future, tomorrow. That comes up in the last verse. Little faith will trust God for the big things and for the eternal things, but it fails to trust God in the details of daily life. O ye of little faith. This is the disciples with Jesus in the boat when the storm is raging in Luke chapter 8, verse 25. And they say, Master, we perish. And he says, where's your faith? He doesn't mean you don't have faith, but why aren't you exercising your faith? You're believers. Where's your faith? So little faith trusts in God for salvation, the big things, but fails to trust him in the situations of daily life. Now there's one more thing that we should say about little faith here, and it's this. It's not only a failure by faith to apply the word of God in some situations in life, but it's really a failure to take God at his word. Little faith believes in Jesus, but it doesn't believe Jesus. It believes in Jesus for salvation, but it doesn't believe the words of Jesus. And I think we all know what that means. I rest in Christ for salvation, but I struggle with what I read in Scripture as it applies to my life day by day. And you look at the passage here and you see that that's exactly Jesus' point. In verse 24, he says, you say that you worship God and you can only worship one thing, God or mammon. You say that you worship God, but you're trusting in money. Verse 25, you acknowledge that life to you is much more than just what you eat and what you drink and what you wear, but those are the things that you're consumed with. You confess that you're a child of God, that God is your Father in heaven. Verse 25 again, oh, oh sorry, verse 26, that you as a child of, of God are of far greater value to him. He gave his son for you after all, and yet, you confess uh, the, the one who, who feeds the fowls of the air of whom you are more important, you don't trust that he'll feed you. You confess God as the creator, the one who waters the hills, takes care of the grass and the flowers, gives them their glory and they perish in a day. And won't God clothe you? So this is what Jesus means by little faith. We trust some of God's promises, but not all of them. We trust in God. We trust in Jesus Christ, but we don't believe him, his word. Little faith. 
And doesn't that reflect our faith so often? We have no problem with what the Bible teaches in doctrine and theology set forth in the Scripture. We believe that the Scriptures are the infallible, inerrant Word of God. We trust that our sins are all forgiven in Jesus Christ by His blood on the cross, that God will bring us to glory, that He'll preserve us. We depend on Him for spiritual strength in our life from day to day to overcome sin. We confess His sovereignty in in uh, the theology of it, that he directs all things to serve our good. But then it comes to little things like our bills and our utilities and our food and our health and our work and our income, our clothing, our shoes, our hair. And we're filled with anxiety about those things. And they're trivial in comparison. And then maybe we'll justify it to ourselves something like this. Well, everyone worries, don't they? It's just a small sin, isn't it? But this is what we're saying in effect. Lord, I know what your word says but I'm not sure that I can trust it. And that's massive, isn't it? Then we are mastered by the circumstances of our life and not the truth of God's word. Take no thought, O ye of little faith. And Jesus' counsel comes to us here in these verses, and very simply it's this. He calls us to exercise our faith. He calls us to exercise our faith, to trust God in daily provision, not to be consumed or distracted or agitated or anxious about these little things, food, clothing, and shelter. But as we look at this, I want you to see how helpful the instruction of Jesus is here, because he doesn't just come here with instruction or rebuke against a weak faith, but he he helps us. He tells us how to put our faith into practice, how to use the Word of God and to use the promises of the Word of God in application, in very real ways, in our daily life. We could call it this, the logic of faith, the logic of faith. And we confess in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, that these are the two parts of the activity of faith. Faith is knowledge and confidence, or knowledge and trust. And Jesus really here wants us to put our knowledge into practice so that we trust and are confident. You see, when we worry about the things of daily life, we're, we're, th- we're, th- we're not thinking beyond the experiences of our daily life. We're allowing our thinking to be governed by the circumstances of life rather than by the Word of God. And what's in view here is not just anxiety in a, in a, I'll say a, a therapeutic or clinical way, but your and my common worries and concerns, the things that are keeping us up. At night. And Jesus is saying, apply what you believe to those things. Think of the way Paul does it. I call it the logic of faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I reckon 
that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed hereafter. And he's weighing the two things up. And he's saying, certainly these two things can't be compared. So use the logic of faith. We must think through the implications of what we confess and believe. Who are we? Who is God? Those are really two important things for us to think about. Who are we? Who are we as those whom God has saved? What has God already done for us? He's chosen us in eternity in election. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his own son. We have an identity as the beloved in Jesus Christ. We belong. We have an eternal inheritance. And God has a purpose for us and so much more. We are, as Jesus tells us here, the children of our Father which is in heaven. And who is God? Well, he's our father. He is the almighty, immutable one. He is a God of unchanging love. He's a God of power and omnipotence. He's a God of faithfulness, of sovereignty. He's a God who's eternal and in eternity has loved his own and so on. And those are the things now that we must take and apply to our lives. Think of the way this is done in Scripture, Romans 5, verse 10. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies when we were reconciled. Now we are reconciled. Won't he save us? Won't he preserve us? Romans 8 verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That fits exactly with what Jesus is going to say here in verse 33. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If God gave his son on Calvary, spared not his own son, Why are you worried about food and drink and the brand of your shoes and the color of your hair and so on? Isn't God going to provide? Romans 8, of course, goes on. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We, we, we should think through the practical consequences of what we confess. You say God is sovereign. Do you trust him as the sovereign one? And that's what Jesus is doing here as he counsels us with a series of questions. There are five different questions that Jesus puts to us here. And there is in these questions a a masterful logic, the logic of faith. But there's also something memorable and something beautiful about it. He talks about the trees and the flowers and the birds and He's saying to his disciples, next time you see a bird, think about this. Next time you see a green field, think about this. This has to do with Father's care for you. And so there are five questions here. The first one 
in verse 25, we could say is this, how balanced are you? How balanced are you? In priorities, in what's important. What's more important to you? Life or the things that support your life? Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? And we have to confess sometimes that we do value the supports of life more than life itself. You have life, Jesus is saying. And as God's children, you have life with God. You might not be able to buy the nicest clothes or eat the best foods, but you have life. And you have a body. Which is more important? What really matters? Are you balanced? The second question, verse 26, how valuable are you? And here Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. Behold the fowls of the heaven. He means stop and consider, look at the birds in the sky. They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better? The day God cares for the birds. He hears the ravens that cry. We sang in the psalm. And who is of greater value to God? A black crow without a soul? Or you? For whom he spared not his own son. You, whom he loved eternally. You in whom he's worked by the Holy Spirit. You, whose whole life, step by step, is ordained by God. My life in all its perfect plan was ordered ere my days began. And the crows, they don't sow, they don't gather into barns, and Father feeds them. Won't he care for you? So take no thought. There's another question here that really follows the same idea of how important are you, how valuable are you to God? And this is verses 28 through 30. There's something uh, very beautiful here. Man is made, Psalm 8 tells us, a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. And now in verses 28 through 30, the question is not about your clothing, but the question is, sorry, the question is not about your food, but the question is about your clothing. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, you, you have little faith. Think of all the effort that's put into making clothing. Perhaps we don't do it ourselves with toiling and spinning anymore. But we spend money on clothes and someone's designed them and there's color and there's all kinds of effort that goes into this. And Jesus says, you can look at a flower, a lily, one. And all the glory of Solomon doesn't compare 
to the beauty of one flower that man cannot reproduce. And so you look at the pageantry of the royal English family and their uniforms and their decor and decorum. And Jesus says, God's given more beauty to one flower of the field. Well, look at the grass. It's green on the mountainsides. What do you do with it? You cut it down and you burn it, he says. Probably Jesus has in mind here how they would use grass clippings in his day. And that was, they would bundle them up into tight bales and that's what they would use in their ovens to prepare their food. And he says, before, before you cut that grass down, look at it. God clothes the fields. Won't he clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. Who of you has never had something to wear? Why do you think about it so much? Another question, the fourth one here in verse 27, and we, we probably ask the question this way, how powerful are you? Or we could put it this way, what do you accomplish by your worry and your anxiety and your concern? Which of you, by taking thought, there's that word, can add one cubit to his stature? As I said, this probably refers to a length of time. Can worrying about life make your life longer? Can you do that? And we, of course, know that worrying is actually counterproductive to longevity. Can you add 15 years to your life by worrying? And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. Your life is in God's hands. God is the one who controls the length of your days. It's appointed unto man to die. That's in God's hands. So why are you so concerned about it? And then there's one more question, and that's in the parentheses in verse 32. Jesus says this, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek? And we could put the question this way. How pagan are you or how different are you to the unbelieving world? That's the idea here. This is what the unbelieving world is consumed with. And when we worry, we not only lose our peace, but we lose our testimony of trust in God. And so with these, Jesus, with these questions, Jesus wants us to, to see that the best answers to our concerns are to look at God, to look at God, to step back from where, what we're immersed in and see ourselves and our lives from the point of view of God, to, to write down these questions, to memorize them so that Jesus can be our counselor when anxiety begins to arise about material provision. That's Jesus' counsel here. And all of it summed up really in the one phrase at the very end of the text that we're considering this evening, verse 32, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Look at God. He's omniscient. He's your Father. 
your heavenly Father. And he knows what you have need of. Jesus says earlier in the chapter, verse 8, he, has, he knows what you have need of before you even ask him. So look to God. Trust. That's the point of what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? I love you, he says. I've given my son for you. I will care for your life. I know your name. I know your circumstances. I know your needs. You're not just one among the millions, but you are my child. I'm your father. And again, you see Jesus teaching with memorable metaphors. Why did God create green grass? Why did God give us a lily to look at? And now why did God create family relationships, fathers and sons? Well, he did it to teach us about himself, didn't he? Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. They say there's a promise, and it's not stated here, but it's implied, and it's certainly stated elsewhere in Scripture. And let me read that promise from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And I refer to these verses because the phrase, take no thought, is the exact phrase here in Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, when it says, Be careful for nothing. Don't be full of cares about anything. Take no thought. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then here's the promise. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Is God your treasure? I said earlier, whatever your treasure is, that will fill your heart. The peace of God will keep your hearts and minds. Are you looking to God in day-to-day life? What a promise for the anxious. Now, of course, it doesn't mean this, that we'll suddenly and forever be free from all anxiety in our life. No, this is a lifelong battle for us. That's why Jesus speaks this word to us as disciples. And we shouldn't be discouraged and we shouldn't be disappointed when when we win this battle one day and then have to fight it again the next. But this, that as we use the logic of faith, as we exercise our faith in the word and the promises of God... To that degree, we'll be free of worry. And it's really summed up in verse 8, isn't it? You don't need to worry because your Father knows not only what you have need of, but he knows what you have need of already before you ask him. Take that. Confess that. Apply that to your life, to food and drink, to your body, to clothing, to tomorrow, to this week, 
to this year, to next year. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the instruction of Jesus. We're reminded in these words of how Jesus teaches us to pray earlier in the same chapter. Give us this day our daily bread. And we're confident, Father, of thy provision. Help us, Father, in faith to press on, trusting salvation, trusting perseverance, but also trusting provision day by day from thee. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.